Today on Blue 58, the Packers took two tight ends in the 2023 NFL Draft and both made huge strides during the season, leading to an overall very exciting year for what is objectively the best position in all of football. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I am your host, John Meerdink, and I'm very excited to be with you here for another episode because we get to talk tight ends and just because, you know, I'm just happy that you're here. I'm glad that everybody chooses to listen to this podcast. Not everybody, but if you're listening to it, you're in in that everybody. Just sometimes sit back and think about doing this show and just being amazed that anybody takes the time to listen. So thanks so much for being here. I really appreciate it. Uh, The Packers are at the Combine right now. Well, the Packers front office personnel and Matt LaFleur is hanging around there a little bit too. But it's combine season. The Packers are getting ready for the NFL combine to see people run and jump and lift and do all the things that they need to do to prove that they are worth picking in the NFL draft. And Brian Gutekunst weighed in on the process, as he always does every year, uh, with a presser this week. And we'll go into this, I think, a little bit more in the next episode. But I think what really jumped out to me, just as a, a overall impression, was how specific he was willing to get. We all know that Brian Gutekunst speaks to the media differently than Ted Thompson did. I did love Ted Thompson's approach just because of how mad it made certain people on the beat that he wouldn't talk. It's probably better for your team if the general manager does come out and talk. There's really nothing nothing to hide. But I love that Thompson wouldn't do it any more than he absolutely had to because you could tell the reporters that really just wanted to do the rip and read stories because you know that if you're going to a press conference from a, a public figure like Ted Thompson, and you're on the the Packers beat, you're going to get a story out of it, no matter what he says. And it it brought me so much joy that people got so mad about him not talking, because if you know behind the scenes, that's part of what they were mad about. In any case, Gutekunst is quite willing to talk to the media, not always, but on on the curve of how willing guys are to talk to media, he strikes me as being on the, the more willing end. And in this this combine presser, it was interesting to me how specific that he got with one position in general, or in, in particular, running back. He said he wants a big back behind Aaron Jones, which I think tells you two things, three things maybe, about what the Packers are going to do this offseason at the position. One, if there's any doubt that Aaron Jones is going to be back, that should be all but alleviated at this point. If you're planning for what you want to do around Aaron Jones, Aaron Jones is probably going to be on your team, wouldn't you think? Then it's probably telling if he's talking about how they want to add a big back behind Aaron Jones that A.J. Dillon is not going to be around in 2024, um, which is a maybe a surprise. Not that big of a surprise, though. But if A.J. Dillon is your big back, um, well, and he's talking about wanting to add another one, you put two and two together yourself there. They they are probably going to move on from A.J. Dillon, which might be a good thing because if they're opening up any cap space to spend this offseason, uh, you wouldn't imagine that they're really going to spend a whole bunch at running back, and Dillon is going to cost more than a draft pick. It just comes down to simple economics at that point. And then you, you add it up a little bit further. They're probably looking to the draft to add here because if you want to add real talent – you know, even if running backs may not be as impactful as some other positions, they still do matter and can contribute to your football team. And if you want to get a good one, you're probably going to have to go, you know, in the top half of the draft at the very least. So all of that comes out of a fairly offhanded comment from Brian Gutekunst, but it does, I think, reveal a lot of his thinking. Before we get to tight end, a couple other 
uh, news items we have to talk about here. The Packers have added officially another coach uh, to their coaching staff. Sean Duggan comes over from Boston College, a longtime Jeff Halfley assistant, going back to their time together at Ohio State, where Duggan was a graduate assistant, then went over to Boston College with Halfley for a few years in a variety of roles, including most recently as their co-defensive coordinator. It's not entirely clear what role he's been hired for, but probably some sort of linebacker's position assistant linebackers coach would seem to make sense there. That is where he's coached previously. That's where he played in college himself. He actually coached Isaiah McDuffie when he was at Boston College as well. Duggan is a pretty rapid riser in his career as well. He just started his NFL, or not his NFL, his overall coaching journey in 2015 uh, for Boston College as a graduate assistant after his playing career wrapped up. Then he was in Hawaii for 2016 and 2017, back to UMass on the East Coast, uh, for 2018, then he winds up with Halfley at Ohio State as a defensive graduate assistant, and you know the story from there. Now he's with the Packers just a just a few years later, uh, still a pretty young guy. Also worth noting, the Packers created just under $5 million in cap space by adjusting Rashawn Gary's contract. $4.78 million is the exact figure. Look, I'm kind of trending away from focusing on the cap really at all. The Packers are going to make moves or they're not. But I think if you're looking at the overall strategy here, this, I think, points to the Packers wanting to be active in free agency. We all saw the report last week, I think it was late last week, of the salary cap being higher even than expected. Estimates um, were for a much smaller jump. It actually jumped by $30 million. That's more than I think just about anybody anticipated, which is good for the Packers. It gives them some immediate cap relief. And also if they make some additional moves like David Bakhtiari, uh, Devondre Campbell, Preston Smith possibly, um, doing what they can to adjust Aaron Jones' contract. Uh, it points to a situation where the Packers could be more active in free, agents, in free agency than we anticipated in the relatively recent past. And I think this is some evidence of the Packers realizing that the iron is now hot. The rebuild is over. We are back to going for it. We're not looking at going all in here, but um, they they are trying to be trying to be active and uh, putting themselves in, in a position where they can be active if they need and want to. All of this, of course, is well and good and stuff that we should pay attention to. If I mean, if Brian Gutekunst is going to be out there talking, that's worth uh, taking a few minutes to talk and think about. But really, we're here to talk about tight ends today. And that means it's my favorite time of the year. Not really, but one of my favorite times of the year when we get to talk about tight ends I got to circle back to a, a trope that I used, you know, middle to end of last season. I feel like uh, feel like the end of the the Willy Wonka movie, the Gene Wilder version, where uh, he he says to Charlie, you know, you ever hear the story about the guy who who got everything he ever wanted? He lived happily ever after. That's kind of how it feels for me as a big fan of tight ends. And there is a there is a joke there in the intro that tight end is objectively the best position in football. But there's part of me that does feel that way because it's an, an interesting and unique position. You know, all of them are interesting and unique, of course. But the things that a tight end can bring to the offense is always kind of tantalizing. And there have been very few instances in my lifetime as a Packers fan where the Packers have really had true difference makers at the tight end position. You know, Mark Tremura and Keith Jackson in the in the mid '90s Super Bowl era, of course, is a is a great pair of tight ends. Uh, but Keith Jackson probably passed his prime at that point. I, I don't think that's even unfair to him to say. He, he probably would agree with that. 
And Mark Chimura was never really a field stretcher at the position, more of a, a short-distance chain mover. Uh, Bubba Franks, a red zone weapon, but not really a difference maker anywhere else on the field. Jermichael Finley burned uh, hot and bright and short prior to his injury, and we kind of got robbed of seeing what he really could have become in his career, uh, unfortunately. Uh, but that's the way it goes sometimes. And then Richard Rodgers, as dependable as he was, is never going to really confuse anybody for a, a big difference maker at the at the spot, though he did have his moments too. I mean, even in addition to the Hail Mary in Detroit in 2015, he caught a touchdown as a rookie uh, against the Cowboys in the playoffs on one of Aaron Rodgers' best ever touchdown throws for my money. Go and find the uh, the end zone angle of that one where you're looking at the throw from behind Aaron Rodgers at field level sometime if you want to just see what sort of arm strength Aaron Rodgers had. Just a, a remarkable throw and a, and a great catch from uh, from Richard Rodgers. Uh, wearing number 89 for the Packers at the time, later changed to 82 in his um, time with the Packers after the, the return of Aaron Jones uh, to the Packers the following year. Um, but that aside, aside, you know, you throw Jimmy Graham in there as well. The Packers really haven't had a ton of difference makers at tight ends. The way that it looks like Luke Musgrave and Tucker Craft possibly could be they turned out to be basically the best versions of themselves from last spring's pre-draft scouting process. We'll talk a little bit more about each of them individually, but as far as they contributed to the overall team, this is as exciting a time as it's been to be a fan of tight ends as I can ever remember in Green Bay. We are basically one tight end away from wondering, you know, what if we made the whole offense out of tight end? So fingers crossed for that for this spring, if I want to get really, really greedy. All we need is one more difference-making tight ends, and we can finally achieve the completely tight end-centric offense that I've always dreamed of. But seriously, easily one of the most satisfying positions on the 2023 Packers. You saw the potential from the moment they were drafted. You saw the potential in, in OTAs and training camp and in the preseason. And then you saw real growth throughout the season, which as an aside, if we're just going to make up this whole podcast out of asides, but watching player growth, I think as I've gotten older as a fan has become the most satisfying part of watching the team. You know, you can't, if you, if you get too tied up in the results of a season, you're just going to be disappointed most of the time. Um, so you kind of have to look at, other stuff if you're going to not drive yourself crazy as a fan, I think at least. But one of the things that you could really look at is individual player growth. How does this guy grow and develop over the course of the of a year of his career, several years, one contract, whatever you want to do? You could see that with these guys already. Musgrave and Kraft are both better and different players at the end of 2023 than they were when the Packers drafted them. And that is a lot of fun to watch as a, a Packers fan. And their growth really supports the data that we gathered last offseason. You know, when we were talking about the Packers drafting these tight ends, I did a big study on several years' worth of data, I think about a decade's worth of data, on when and how tight ends grow. The conclusion of that data was basically guys solidify who they're going to be as tight ends by year two, that's when you see the most growth from year one to year two. You don't really see a ton of growth over the remainder of rookie contracts from there, from guys who stick around in the league. And really, that kind of points to the idea that 
most guys are a version of what they're going to become by the end of year one. You're, you're trending towards what you're finally going to be by the end of your first year because that's really going to solidify in year two. And if that's true, and I think it is, we, we have a lot of reason to believe that it is. The data supports it pretty strongly. But if that's true, if that hypothesis is correct, we have a lot of reason to be really excited about where Luke Musgrave and Tucker Craft are right now. Because if this is close to them reaching their potential, any growth between now and next season is going to be very, very impactful because they both made a big impact on the 2023 Packers. Let's talk through this player by player then. We do get one cameo player in this group. We've, we've got to talk about Henry Pearson, who played 11 snaps on offense and 23 snaps on, te- on special teams, though technically he is not a tight end. Uh, he's actually lift, listed on the Packers roster as a fullback. Pro Football Reference probably correctly lists him as a tight end, uh, though the, the line between tight end and fullback really gets kind of blurred at some points. To this point, though, this is actually the first time in a few years the Packers have actually had an official fullback listed on the roster, despite having Josiah DeGuara in that spot for a couple of years and a couple other players filtering through in a similar sort of role. Do you remember who the last fullback in Green Bay was, though, prior to Henry Pearson? I'll give you a second to think about it, though I would be genuinely impressed if you came up with the name John Lovett from a couple years back. Uh, Played fullback for the Packers in 2020 before tearing up his knee. Uh, But that was the last time the Packers had a fullback in Green Bay. Anyway, Pearson is fine. Seems like he has some some growth potential looking forward. He'll probably get another shot at a Josiah DeGuara-type role next year. But they'll make some moves in undrafted free agency almost assuredly at this spot, trying to find another person like him or even like Ben Sims uh, to fill some of those special teams and low, uh, kind of low usage offensive snaps. And speaking of Ben Sims, uh, he cracked 100 snaps this year, so we get to talk about him in a little bit more depth. 189 snaps on offense. Crucially, and we'll make this distinction for every one of the tight ends that we talk about, uh, he played 90% of his snaps in line. So there's really four places a receiver or, or skill position player can line up on offense, according to how pro football focus tracks it, at least. You could be in the backfield. You can be in line where a tight end typically lines up. That's either exactly or, or literally on the line of scrimmage or in an H-back type role. Uh, you can be in the slot or you can be out wide. And you can really see the differences in those roles by examining who lined up where. Sims was almost exclusively an in-line tight end for the Packers. He also played 97 snaps on special teams. I assumed that he'd be close to a one-to-one replacement for Tyler Davis, who tore his ACL late in training camp, and the, leading to the Packers, uh, almost assuredly leading to the Packers, signing uh, Ben Sims or claiming him off waivers during final roster cutdowns from the, the Minnesota Vikings. But he didn't really end up playing as much on special teams as I thought. Um, he played almost exactly twice as many snaps on offense as he did on special teams. That was not really what Davis did last year. He w- he led the team in special team snaps, so fewer fewer opportunities for tight ends going around on special teams this year. Sims finished the year with four catches for 21 yards and a single touchdown. Uh, did not register an explosive play this year. Basically, his season comes down to being that Tyler Davis replacement. He didn't really play a big role, though I think he was essentially adequate in this role. I don't think we got to go much deeper than that. We'll see what he looks like in year two. 
if you're looking to say whether or not he met expectations this year, sure, but expectations were essentially comically low through no fault of his own. But think about it. Uh, He was a preseason ending waiver claim replacing a guy who primarily played special teams when the Packers were thinking about going into a rebuilding year. I mean, do the situational expectations get much lower than that? Not really. So though he met expectations, expectations were not very high at all for a guy like Ben Sims. Uh, But for 2024, I'd have to imagine he's got a chance to grow into a bigger special teams-focused role, especially with what's probably going to happen on the depth chart ahead of him. Speaking of which, that brings us to Josiah DeGuara, who played just 196 snaps on offense in 2023. Really, no single role for DeGuara. Nearly 35% of his snaps came in the slot and in line. Another 25% of his snaps came in the backfield. This is, I think, what a fullback looks like in the 2023-2024 NFL. You've got to be able to do a little bit of everything, especially in the Shanahan tree type offenses. You look uh, look at a guy like Kyle Juszczyk, that's what DeGuara was supposed to be, and I think the closest to that is what he was in 2023, for better and for worse. DeGuara played 219 snaps on special teams. He played at least 20 snaps on every special teams unit, except for a field goal and extra point block, did not log a snap on that particular unit. If you've got the access, go to Pro Football Focus and look up Josiah DeGuara's snap counts over the course of the year. Because if you look at what he was doing on special teams, his play was consistent on every special teams unit on which he appeared, except for field goal and extra point kick. On on that unit, he was benched after he badly missed a block that led to, or badly missed a block that led to a blocked extra point against the Steelers, which ended up having a huge effect in that game, made it a four-point game instead of a three-point game, which really affected what the Packers were doing late in that game. Uh, He never played another snap on field goal and extra point kick after that game. Uh, So that's how his season went. Finished with eight catches, 65 yards, no touchdowns, one explosive play this year. Fun fact about Josiah DeGuara, his career high in explosive plays is two back in 2021. Uh, Both were touchdowns, a 25-yard touchdown against the Vikings, and then a 60-something-yard screen pass touchdown against the Lions in the final week of the regular season. I predicted that DeGuara would play a career high in backfield snaps this year. He actually played more in 2022. Uh, so did not get that one correct. I predicted also that he would have 15 or more catches in 2023, which ended up not being correct either. He only had eight catches this past season, and I think a lot of that was predicting that he'd have a bigger role to play as the Packers brought their young tight ends along slowly. That was not the case for Luke Musgrave and was not the case for long for Tucker Craft, though we will talk about him uh, in some detail here in a second. This season, as far as as DeGuara goes, was probably the closest thing to the ideal for DeGuara, and it just wasn't enough. It was a small role, and he just did not do enough in it to really, I don't want to say even get excited about, but merit further consideration. It just was not enough, and that has been the, the Josiah DeGuara story since the second he was drafted, but Uh, As you look at his 2023 season, I think we've got to talk both about his short-term, as in this past season, and his long-term expectations, meaning his career. This past year, he was the lone veteran tight end. 
but he was not anything close to resembling a core player at that position or within the roster as a whole. He just was another body, uh, a versatile one to be sure, one they used in a lot of different places, but never a like a plus player at his position, unfortunately. Looking at his career-long sorts of expectations, he was supposed to be this versatile piece that could unlock a bunch of different stuff for the offense, and he just has never been that. I think the closest that we really got to that was in week one of his rookie year. He did a little bit of everything in that game, you know, motioning into the backfield, motioning out of the backfield, lining up as a true fullback, lining up next to Aaron Rodgers with another back in in a split-back gun uh, just he was that versatile piece. And then he got hurt in that game. And then he got hurt later in the year and was done for the season. And it's really just never been the same for him since then. So did he meet expectations? No, not this year and never really in his career. I don't think he should be in Green Bay in 2024 as we look ahead to next season. I think you'll probably look to replace what he did with a combination of guys because Matt LaFleur seems to be committed to doing more power runs and gap stuff and Stuff where you need a lead blocker, I just don't think that's going to be Josiah Aguara in 2024, and it really probably shouldn't have been or shouldn't be because if he's not going to be a a reliable blocker on the the real core special team unit that he's a part of, you know, the field goal and extra point kicks, you can find some other guy to run down and, and cover kicks on on kickoffs or or block on kickoff return. Those are far less important than key and important blocking on field goals and extra points. And if you can't be counted on to do that, I think you just find another guy who could do the other stuff. Now we get to the real exciting guys. Luke Musgrave played 468 snaps on offense. 64% of his snaps came in line in 2023. I would love for that to go a little bit higher. I think he needs to be detached from the formation like 40% of the time at minimum. He did hit that in three games last year, week three, week eight, and week 11. In week three, that was the Packers come from behind win against the the Saints. Six catches that day for 49 yards. Week eight, the Packers lost to the Vikings. Musgrave had two catches for nine yards. And week 11 was their win against the Chargers. He had four catches for 28 yards. So I think the lesson here is clear. If you want to win football games, you you split Luke Musgrave out wide and then just go from there. Tongue-in-cheek, of course. But I think it does help the Packers' offense to have a big guy like him out in space and I want to see more for more of it from the Packers in 2024. Uh, finished the year 34 catches, 352 yards, and one touchdown. 14 of his 34 catches went for first downs. Of note, his pre-injury pace was for 56 catches, 580 yards, and two touchdowns, which is essentially what Jimmy Graham Jimmy Graham gave us back in 2018. That year, 55 catches, 636 yards, and two touchdowns. Musgrave that being on pace for that as a rookie, I think seems like a pretty, pretty promising sign. If he's already catching Jimmy Graham on the way down as he is on the way up, that seems like he is headed in the right direction. Finished the year with seven explosive plays should probably have been more. This does not, of course, count the regular or the, the, um, the postseason in which he had at least one additional one with his long touchdown against the Cowboys. We did not really get to see much of Luke Musgrave during the time of the year when the Packers' offense really took off. Uh, after he came back from his lacerated kidney, he didn't play a whole ton. Seems like he was on a pretty tight pitch count after that, but he would have had better numbers across the board had he played the entire season. That does not seem like we're going too far out on a limb to say that. And his numbers were pretty good. 
Prediction-wise, I thought 45 or more catches and 500 or more yards. He missed on those because of injury, but I feel pretty good about where he ended up. If not for injuries, I think he hits those pretty easily. I think the big takeaway on Musgrave is that he seems to have proved in 2023 that the college scouting report was not fake. He did not have a lot of work to show for his college career. Injuries slowed him down, particularly in his last college season, quite a bit. And you could say, if you're a real cynic, uh, well, look, his injuries just continued into, into the pros, but the kidney laceration seems like a real freak thing, and you don't really include that on your recurring injuries list in a scouting report. You don't really lacerate your kidney more than once. I wouldn't think. I, I, I guess I'm just saying that, that not really knowing for sure. Maybe you can lacerate your kidney more than once. Maybe there's guys who have done it. In any case, it doesn't seem like doing it once is going to set him up for similar kinds of injuries in the future. Maybe that's what I'm trying to get to here. I don't think we're going to be banking on more lacerated kidneys uh, from from Luke Musgrave going forward. So even if with the injury, I think we have to say he met some expectations and his future for 2024 is bright. That future depends largely on how the Packers choose to pair him with Tucker Craft. That is a very fun problem to have and a very fun one to solve. Finally, Mr. Kraft, 621 snaps on offense, in line primarily by a pretty wide margin here. Uh, 31 catches, 355 yards, and two touchdowns in his rookie season. Made a first down on 18 of his 31 catches this past year. Pretty solid there for, for Mr. Kraft. Six explosive plays. Overall, a very satisfying statistical season, I think, from Tucker Kraft. Predicted that he would finish the season with fewer than 30 catches. That ended up being correct. Quite happy about that. Uh, he did have fewer than 400 yards, which we did predict, uh, but who cares? Um, the way that he got his yards, I think, was was satisfying this year, even if it was basically in line with the overall volume expectations. Looking at his 2023 season as a whole, I think he grew on offense more than just about anybody I can think of, with the possible exception of a guy like Rashid Walker, you'd have to be pretty close with him and Kraft um, as to who grew the most over the course of this year. With Walker, you go with a guy who was a borderline starter to, to start the season and settles into that starting role over the course of the year. With Kraft, you go from a guy who looked like he didn't belong in the field early in the season to a guy you felt pretty confident about as the starting injury replacement for Luke Musgrave. Elsewhere among his fellow rookies on offense, I mean, Jaden Reed and Dontavian Wicks are possible candidates for growth there too. I would argue that both of them looked basically like themselves pretty early on. It was just a matter of getting them the ball more and getting them more snaps. Early in the season, Kraft did not look like he belonged on the field at all, and his snaps reflected that, we shouldn't forget. Even though he ended up leading the Packers tight end group in snaps this past season, he didn't play more than 13 snaps in a game until week five. And even that game, he only played 23. But his role grew with his performance and out of necessity, too, as Luke Musgrave got hurt. And I think by the end of the season, I, I feel pretty confident putting a, a check mark next to yes and whether or not he, he met expectations here. 2024, I think really more of the same. Just how does he pair with Luke Musgrave? That's a, an interesting question to have to solve, considering how many young pass catchers, how many promising young pass catchers the Packers have. But you'd much rather have that than the alternative, not having any tight ends worth throwing the ball to or putting on the field. This, again, is a very good problem for the Packers to have. 
And again, probably the first time in, in my lifetime as a Packers fan where you can sit here and say, wow, the Packers really got to figure out how to get all these tight ends on the field. <laughs> it's a good time to be a fan, a fan of tight ends. And, and once again, there's a lot to be excited about here for the Packers at this position group. And I think heading into 2024, that's going to be very, very consistent. I just hope maybe expectations don't get too high for, for the young tight ends, the young receivers in this team in general, because there is a lot to be excited about. And the sky is really the limit for the tight ends and, and just about everyone else on the roster as well. So I've got for you in this episode of Blue 58. I appreciate you tuning in. I'd appreciate it even more if you'd take a second and share this episode with someone you think would enjoy it that's going to help more people find the show and get more people involved in this conversation you and I are having about the Green Bay Packers, which in turn is going to help all of us, me included, become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.